Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings and greetings to everyone in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, in the name of Jesus the Christ. In this podcast, we're going to be speaking about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a technical term. It means the art and science of biblical interpretation. Simply put, it's just us. How do we approach the Bible and how do we take the principles of God's Word and apply it to our lives? How do we get to the principles? And so today I have a guest that's in the studio. This is the IGM studio. He's a good friend of mine. In fact, he helped set up everything in the studio. And his name is Samuel. In Hebrew, we say Shmuel. Shmuel, can you introduce yourself? Hey, as you guys know, Shmuel is my name. As Mr. Scott said, I helped set up this podcast with IGM, and I'm excited to see where it goes, excited to get to listen to it. I myself am not a... Bible scholar, but I am very excited to get to learn more about the Bible, learn more about how to read it, especially today in hermeneutics. Excited to be here, excited to get to hear uh, about the practical steps that we can take to, to learn more about the Bible. All right, Samuel, let's jump into this. And how old are you, Samuel? I am 23 years old. 23 years of age. So that's yes. a, a good contrast. I'm 53, you're mm-hmm. 23. So we're dealing with the millennial versus the the dinosaur here. (laughs) So let's look at hermeneutics because the desire of every believer is to know God's Word and the truth of God's Word. And we're going to start from the very foundational level. The first thing I want to talk about is what is the best translation of the Bible in the English language for study today? And I'm going to present to us that the New American Standard Bible or the English Standard Version of the Bible These two translations I would highly recommend for everyone that is listening. It doesn't mean that there's not other translations that are good or cannot be a blessing to your life. But as far as study of God's Word, I would recommend that everyone at least have a copy of the NASV. That was the last update of it was in 1995 and has been a tremendous blessing to my life and to others. It's not a popular version of the Bible. Samuel, which versions of the Bible do you use when you're reading? I actually, I have the NASB. That's the one I use primarily. And I do have a smaller Bible that's much easier to carry around with me. That's the NIV. So that one I I usually will take with me to church or something. But at home, reading, or studying something out in the Bible, then it's the NASB. Right. And there's not a lot of uh, young people your age, uh, and, and I say young, even though you're 23 <laughs> years of age, Yeah, not a lot of young Pretty people young. that I have met that use the NASB. In mm-hmm. fact, when I go into most congregations that I'm speaking uh, people come up afterwards and ask, which version are you using? Because hardly anyone is using the NASV. And one of the reasons why is because it's such a literal translation. Mm-hmm. And they, they stick to a word-for-word, as best as possible, translation. So it, it doesn't flow as well. 
as say the NIV, uh, but it's a, it's a little bit choppy. However, once you get used to it, it to me it reads beautifully, mm-hmm. and it is also the best literal translation of the Word of God. And let me talk about two different philosophies of translation. Okay. You have what's called the dynamic equivalence, and you have the formal equivalence. A dynamic equivalence, as far as a translation, is thought-to-thought or concept-to-concept. And if you're preaching in a different culture, in a different language, many times the translator is not taking word for word, but they're hearing what you're saying and taking the essence of what you are saying, and they're translating it. That is more of what we call dynamic equivalence. So most of the popular translations of the Bible today fit into that category. Let me give you some examples. The New International Version, today's New International Version, the message, Now, the message is very loose, and it becomes a paraphrase. The Living Bible, the Living Bible is a paraphrase. The Good News Bible, New Living Translation, etc. These are some popular versions of the Bible today. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying, Samuel, that they're bad translations. They're just using a system that goes from concept, thought, to thought, However, a formal equivalency is more of a word-for-word, as literal as possible translation that you can take from one language to another. And the four biggest ones that follow that process of translation is the King James, the New King James Version, the New American Standard Version, and the English Standard Version. Any comments or questions about that? That's something I haven't heard of before, but it's kind of cool to think about because I speak a good amount of Spanish. I wouldn't say that I'm bilingual, but I do speak a good amount of Spanish. And when you're in a different country and you're communicating with somebody and there's somebody with you that does not speak that language, and then they like tap you on the shoulder and they're like, hey, what did he say? Or what did, what did that guy say? It's always like you hear all of those words, and you know what he said in that language, but when you put it back into English, when you put it back, the, the meaning of it into your own language, it always seems like you don't have all the words to right. really fit literally what they're saying, but you can tell them the same meaning. And that would be dynamic equivalency, right? Where you're just, you got the same meaning, yes. but you're using different words, maybe different grammar right. as well. And then the formal equivalency would be more like you're breaking it down word by word and trying to literally place what was said into a different language. Right. Um, Say the syntax would have to change a little bit Mm -hmm. because you cannot translate literally from one syntax in one language to the other. It would not make sense. Uh, but the goal is word-for-word translation, and it's not meant to bring clarity, but to be faithful to the text as much as possible. Okay. okay. And think about what Paul said to, to Timothy. Mm-hmm. Study to show thyself approved. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the Bible is meant to be studied. 
And if we're going to study, if you want a version of the Bible that helps you with your study, you want to get to a literal translate, as literal of a translation as you can find. And the dynamic equivalence should be more for what we're doing right now. Okay. When you're expanding, when you're preaching, you're teaching, you're sharing as you have studied God's word, then you bring out the meaning in your own culture more clearly. But the text, we should be trying to be as faithful to the original text as possible. Okay. Okay. If that makes sense. That does. It's that's really interesting to think about the difference between those two because it's it's kind of subtle. You think about, well, they're both translating. They're both translations. Right. But the difference in it is the formal equivalency kind of holding true to, you know, regardless of how you're going to receive it, we're just going to put, we're just going to say it. Like, we're not trying to communicate ideas and, you know, concepts to people. We're trying to literally show what, what was said, what happened. Right. It's their responsibility to study that and figure it out. Right, and most people use the NIV, and I don't want anyone to leave here and think that, oh, no, I've been studying the NIV. That's wrong. It's not wrong. NIV is a good translation with the philosophy of dynamic equivalence. Some places it gets a little bit too free, and it becomes almost like a paraphrase. Now, paraphrase I want to stay away from, say, the Living Bible, Mm -hmm. the Message, and those that are trying to expand so much the text to bring clarity, almost like a preaching or a teaching form, that's not what we should be doing in our translation. We should be trying to be faithful to what the text is and try to be as word for word in our translation as much as possible. That's the reason why I'm recommending this formal equivalency if you're NIV and you want to stick with that, I would I would say do that and also have a NASV with you as well and that you compare the two and you look at it and just always have one version that's using more literal word for word and then you have the other one that's doing from thought to thought or concept to concept. Okay. Now let's look at these four that I mentioned for formal equivalency. The most popular one is the King James Version. Right. That's the most popular version of all time. And we have a lot of people that may be listening that are King James only. Right. And we'll speak a little (laughs) bit to that. King James is a good translation, and we need to understand that. The new King James Version, when it came out, everybody jumped on board of the New King James Version because they simplified the English a little bit. Right. The King James Version is the language of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And it's a language, language is changing all the time. And then as generations go by, the language has to be updated so that they can mm-hmm. understand better what is being said. It's like King James for the kids. Right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, New King James Version is more updated language, but sticking with what we call the textus receptus. Have you heard that term before? That is an interesting term. I haven't heard it before. It sounds very ornate. Okay. The King James Version was translated in 1611, and when they translated it, they made the statement, the approved text. This is the 
text that is accepted by all. The manuscripts that they used in Greek, we're talking about the New Covenant at mm -hmm. this time. We're not talking about the Old Covenant. And remember, they did not have the Dead Sea Scrolls at that time for the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant, they're translating from Hebrew and from Aramaic. Daniel has some Aramaic. And at that time, they didn't have the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls are one of the greatest discoveries of literature in history. So yeah. today, when we go back to the Old Covenant, we're looking at the Masoretic text of the Hebrew. We're comparing it to the Septuagint, that's the Greek Old Covenant scriptures, which is older than the Masoretic text, and that's a whole class in itself. We're looking at the Aramaic Targums. They even look at the uh, Samaritan Pentateuch, just seeing the readings mm -hmm. and, and other things as well, other uh, types of literature. Sammy, you have a question? I, I don't know. Maybe it, it's more common knowledge than I think it is. I just hadn't realized, I, maybe I hadn't thought about it. The Bible is compiled, it's basically like an average of different texts. Is that right? The Septuagint, the math, mass, so Masoretic. Masoretic, and all of those different texts that people found, they were all, I guess, early versions of the Bible? Yes. Or parts, specifically parts of the Bible or the whole Bible? We'll say the Septuagint is the Old Covenant. Now, I always say mm -hmm. covenant because we're in a covenant relationship with God. And not, not anything wrong with Old Testament, but it really doesn't bring out the full meaning. We're in mm -hmm. the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So I say the Old Covenant scriptures were translated from the Hebrew to the Greek in around 250 B.C. Okay. And then we had the Greek Old Testament or Old Covenant scriptures. From that Bible have come other manuscripts that we have today. Those manuscripts are actually older than the oldest Hebrew manuscripts that we have of the Bible, which is called the Masoretic text. So basically, the Bible that I have now has been compared to texts that they found that are thousands of years old, and it's still a weighty translation. It's still a solid Yes. Translation. And it lines up with what was said. Yes. It's a trustworthy translation, finding the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are also in Hebrew. Then we can compare what is in the Old Covenant in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, the Masoretic text, which is a complete Old Covenant manuscript of the Bible, talking about the Old Covenant. We can look at what's called the Aramaic Targums of the Old Covenant, kind of in a commentary form in the Arama Aramaic language. We can look at, even at the Samaritan Pentateuch and see the readings within the Samaritan Pentateuch as well to look and to compare all of these to make sure that we get the best reading as possible. Okay. Now let's go wow. to the New Covenant. When we went to the New Covenant, when the King James was translated, it had later manuscripts, probably between 9 and 12 manuscripts that they were using, primarily from the Byzantine manuscript family. Okay. There are four textual families of the New Covenant, the Alexandrian family, the Caesarean, the Byzantine, and the Western textual family. We're were talking, those Latin? No, those are all Greek. Okay. 
Those are all Greek, and the Latin comes from that, the Latin Vulgate, and the, the Latin translations come from the Greek. Okay. All that the King James had at that time were very late manuscripts coming from the Byzantine Greek manuscript family. Okay. And between 9 and 12, even part of Revelation, at the end of Revelation, they didn't have a Greek manuscript. So what they did is that they went to the Latin and translated the Latin into Greek to create a Greek manuscript and from that to the English. What? That's the reason why it, it reads a little bit different in the King James at the end of Revelation. They did the best that they could mm-hmm. with what they had at that time. And it is a good translation. It is a very good translation, very reliable, mm-hmm. and they did the best at that time to bring forth the Word of God in the English language. Let's go to the 1960s the 1970s. At this Pretty point, recent. scholarship has five to 6,000 Greek manuscripts from all four textual families. That really helps us to get the best reading. Does that okay. make sense? King yeah. James had 9 to 12, only from the Byzantine, and they were very late. Right. Okay. Sort of like a game of telephone, I guess. You're passing information down the line. The closer you get, like the less people you have, the closer you get to the original message, the more correct it's going to be, right. obviously. So what we were looking for translation-wise is somebody who's translated that's taken into account the earliest manuscripts. Right. And comparing them and getting Mm -hmm. to the best reading. But what happened in the King James Version with this statement, Textus Receptus, the text received by all, then came the theology, a systematic theology, Mm -hmm. that this is the text that everyone should use and this is the best text. And if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. Yeah, I remember growing okay. up, people saying that even though Paul's been dead a long time and Paul didn't speak English, you right? Know, but you would hear that and that mentality, and then new translations come up, and when there's a slightly different reading, doesn't make any difference in the flow of thought or the theology or anything, then people have a hard time accepting that and saying, oh, these new translations, they're liberal and these kind of things. And just the opposite is true with the New American Standard Version. It is the most literal translation of the Bible using all the earliest manuscripts. It's a beautiful translation, and it does flow, and it does bring forth the truth of God's Word. And I would recommend to everybody to at least have a copy of the New American Standard Bible and use it as you're studying God's Word. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool, I think, how you put it earlier when you were talking about, you know, the other translations are not bad to have, but it's not something that's going to be the best for studying, for really getting into God's Word, really figuring out what it's saying. It's going to be better to have a formal equivalency Bible and something that maybe, I guess, is newer because it's taking into account all of the manuscripts, really comparing them, and really just giving you what was said, how it was said, and letting you do the work and and the study. 
And I would also say the ESV is on the same line as the NASV. Mm-hmm. And they're both really good translations. Either one of them can be a great blessing. Okay. Very cool. Now, let me say one last thing, Samuel, as we're wrapping up this segment, because we're talking about hermeneutics. Most congregations that I go in are churches. They're becoming very lax with the translations. Mm -hmm. I see the message put up on the screens. I see paraphrases being used. Sometimes they're beautiful when you read them and they're getting the essence of what is being said. But at the same time, we need to teach the people that we're ministering to that this is a paraphrase. It's not the best translation. Okay. And it's time for people within churches to understand these principles. We've gotten a little bit sloppy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that word. A little bit sloppy, a little bit free for all, whatever translation you like, you go for it. Right. And what I'm saying speaks to me. (laughs) Yes. Whatever speaks to me, and it's not what it means to me that's important from the beginning. It's what it meant first. And once I find out what it meant, then I can understand what it means for me today. So we've gotten a little bit sloppy, even in youth groups, Mm. even in children's church. I would encourage people to use a more literal translation, Mm -hmm. and they will get used to it. Let me read a little bit from the New American Standard Version and just see if you can understand it. I think it flows really well. Let's read from Romans chapter 3. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus." whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. Now, that's a high word there, but it means atoning sacrifice. As a propitiation in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think it reads beautifully. It's very literal. It's a little bit choppy as I'm reading. Mm -hmm. But as you get used to it, it becomes second nature to you. It really does. And it's just a beautiful translation into the English language. Any last thoughts you have? I just think, you know, a lot of people my age read the Bible and just don't think about that. It's not something that ever comes to mind. I don't think hermeneutics is a common word, especially for Christians in America. Getting to hear about the difference in the philosophy and really what the history of those translations are, you kind of see the difference between a translation that was intent on the original work and what's more like a commentary. So you really do kind of see, you know, that there, there are better translations out there. Right. 
and it's a different philosophy. So the formal equivalency is the best philosophy in the translation if you're reading God's Word. So I hope that this has been a blessing to everyone. And if you do not want to use the New American Standard Version, that's fine. You keep on reading God's Word. If you're in the NIV, let God minister to you through His Word. Continue to grow in your understanding. And the most important thing is take God's Word and hide it in your heart that you may not sin against Him. God's Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Know the Word of God, not just a hearer of the Word, Jacob, James says, but a doer of God's Word. God bless you today. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.